When Marilyn Scott performed her first gig at the age of 15, little did she know that along the road of her career, she'd be collaborating with some of the great jazz powerhouses. But it wasn't until years later, in the Bay Area, when Tower of Power's Emilio Castillo noticed her rich, sultry voice and decided to hire her to do backing vocals for the group. She never looked back. Since then, and several solo albums later, she is still in demand as a writer who has worked with the best. Spyro Gyra, The Yellow Jackets, George Duke, Bob James, Jimmy Haslip, and Russell Ferrante. Her most recent release, 2008's Every Time We Say Goodbye, is a testament to her love for classic jazz. Recorded in New York City, the project has an intimate flair recorded with top New York jazzers. It's a warm night and the band begins. There's a toast between laughing friends. I had to leave the world behind. I was going out of my mind. I tried to My heart beats like 
Music Cast is pleased to welcome a perennial LA talent, Marilyn Scott. Hey, Marilyn, thanks for joining us today. Welcome, Marilyn. Great to be with you today. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, well, listen, Marilyn, just just tell us a little bit. Uh, you know, our our audience knows your music, and uh, for those that that don't know of your music, tell us a little bit about uh, you know your first entry into the music scene. I mean, uh, your your early memories of you know uh, you know growing up. Uh, were your parents musical at all? And when did you first uh, you know start? Feeling the music vibe. Yeah, you know, I, I I was fortunate. I had a mother that played classical piano and she sang, you know, uh, operatic stylings. And um, you know, her her innermost dreams were to go further with it. But she became a mother and and uh, of three three girls. But she all taught us, you know, um, about music and, and the appreciation of it. And unfortunately, I lost her when, you know, we were really young. So we I just a short memory of, of all that. But, you know, I, that, that was enough to, um, to to show me what what it was like uh, to feel music. And, and, and I knew that that was something I wanted. So did you play an instrument? Were you a pianist at all? Or? You know, um, my I lost my, my mother when I was uh, 11. So, um, really? you uh-huh. know, I've... I didn't get to be around a piano, and I didn't um, study enough with her, so I w- wasn't able to really get with the piano until I got into, you know, high school and um, in college and that. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, I w- I've just played in bands, and I was um, started playing in high school and yeah. senior high, and uh, I kind of learned that way. Um, yeah. I graduated from high school, and I moved up to San Francisco because I'm from Los Angeles. Gotcha. And San Francisco had a just incredible, bohemic, incredible neo soul—you name it. It was in jazz was incredible, and it was a mixture of all those things. It was so different uh, with the radio stations in that um, they they played a, such a variety of music, uh, blues and R and B and jazz together mm-hmm. that you got to you got to understand a lot of the different stylings of of music and and how they how they work together and it made you go and play some of those things as well. I met uh, Emilio Castillo up there sure. and um, George Duke and I um, uh, got involved in singing background yeah. and um, sang on a lot of different records. 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit too. You know, when you cross paths, you know, you're already in San Francisco and you're you're doing gigs already, and uh, of course, um, you cross paths with uh, Emilio, Emilio, and the guys, the Doc and David uh, Garibaldi. They've been guests on Inside Music Cast in the past, ah. and uh, so uh, we know these guys well. We know them their their work really well, and uh, so so when tell us about that connection then. When you and Emilio, what were you doing when when you guys crossed paths and he noticed your voice? Well, actually, uh, I he I went to see. He, I saw him at Fillmore a few times, mm-hmm. and um, and this one time, I found out Aretha Franklin was playing at the Fillmore, and so I and I had played on Tuesday nights. Um, they let local bands play on Tuesday nights, and if they liked you, mm-hmm. they put you um, to open for the bigger acts that came in. Oh, I got you. And so I knew I knew how to get in there, and right. um, so I found out she was playing. So I, I went in the back way, and um, Cold Blood and Tower Power was going to open mm-hmm. for Aretha, and she had Ray Charles with her, and um, wow. and Billy Preston, and you, you know, oh my God, and Curtis, and uh, it was incredible. But so I met Emilio there. I met him there, and, and mm-hmm. I talked to him and told him that I was in a band and. Um, a horn band, and uh, I loved his band very much. And uh, we talked for a long time, and he took my number, and he ended up inviting me to sing on um, one of the one of their records. Uh, because at the time he was, uh, you know, the Spinners and some other acts were were using a lot of female vocals, right, right, right. Uh, vocal yeah. background vocals on their records. Besides them being. A, a male vocal act, they would mm-hmm. like sweeten it with um, female background vocals. And so sure. Mimi wanted to do some of that, and he hired um, three of us. Um, there were friends of mine, Pepper Watkins and Bucci Anderson. Okay. And uh, so we sang on uh, several of their of their records, yeah. background, and um, it was incredible. That's neat. Well, I'm, cu- I'm curious as to, you know, you're talking about the vocals and the, you know, and, and how, and when you think of Tower of Power, you think of just the complexity of their, you know, compositions, their arrangements. And, and I'm, cu- I'm just curious as to how the vocals specifically were arranged, um, you know, by Tower of Power and um, to balance that complexity of, of the horn parts and much of their music. It wasn't your typical BGV type of stuff, was it? Uh, it 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 wasn't, but then it, it was sort of reflected what it was the style of the time. Yeah. Also, you know, and, and like I said, it was just it was typical of what they would sing, but they would just put the the, the girls up on top and and sweeten it out that way. And um, and it wasn't on all the tunes. It was just the, yeah. you know, they they knew Emilio and Doc knew exactly which tunes that they wanted uh, mm-hmm. girls on. Right. So it was, I mean, it was a boys band. So we were just, uh, we were just a little bit of some, some seasoning. That's all. Yeah. Those guys have a lot of fun on stage, don't they? Oh, they're awesome. I mean, and that hasn't changed. I mean, they still have a great time. Yeah. How long did you uh, gig with um, Emilio and the guys? We, I sang on, uh, Drop It in the Slot mm-hmm. and Urban Renewal and, yeah. um, just when you start making it, all those, you know, a lot of those like that. And um, we never played live with them. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Just on the, yeah, just recording. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
So, so after that, uh, after you, you know, you you continued. I mean, what kind of other kind of gigs were you doing in the San Francisco area? You know, at the time that you uh, were recording with them, um, I was in a lot of bands. I was just in, I was just in a lot of bands, and yeah. uh, and then you know, you know, you you meet people at the studio. They go, "You got to come over and yeah. sing on my record," and you know that kind of stuff. We we were on a lot of different people's stuff, and uh, um, and I, I played in a lot of bands that played clubs that we did five sets a night, and some that you know we went and we played, you know, with Ben Morrison or. Um, you know, whoever, you know, was around those, um, clubs at that time and we, you know, opening acts and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that scene in San Francisco was, as you can, you know, you were describing just a little bit ago that there, there was so much variety of music that was happening in that and scene in the Berkeley scene. And, uh, that was awesome. I mean, I mean, when we talked to, I remember we were talking to Emilio about this. He said it was just so rich in the what was coming out of there that it was um, almost should have been illegal, you know. <laughs> and and you know, and it, like I said, you know, there was so much outlet for it to be played, um, and there was so many clubs and and playing opportunities, which it's you know that that's all really dried up, you yeah. know? And, and of course, the music on radio has changed so much that, you know, you don't get that richness as much as you, you did then, you know? And they back-announced everything, and they, you know, and they got you involved in it, you know? They made you want to go and see these people, and they made you familiar with who played guitar, and that he was also playing with this artist, and this drummer came all the way from Detroit, and he played with this artist. And, mm-hmm. you know, you got familiar with um, people, and it made you go out and play their, 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 their albums and yeah. the stuff they played on. I can tell you that for sure. There's someone like David T. Walker and um, Bernard Purdy, and, right. uh, you know, all those folks, to, for us, you know, we, we would find out what they were playing on, and we'd go buy it. Yeah. After San Francisco, you know, you you moved back to L.A. and and did your sessions with uh, Tower of Power help you establish a career as a session singer in L.A.? I mean, was that a big stepping stone? You know, it it did. I mean, it, it, more than anything for me, it it got me familiar with the studio and and meeting mm-hmm. a lot of studio musicians. And um, I, I that's where you know when I moved back to L.A., I you know I. I hung with Bobby Torres, which is a great, incredible percussionist, and, uh, you know, the, all the Picaro brothers, and um, uh, Dan Ferguson, and Jay Gretzka, and a lot of people that, you know, you ended up working with and, and playing, and they played on your stuff, and and it was fun. I mean, it was it was a great group of uh, studio guys that played, and uh, John yeah. Garen. Uh, there was just a lot of people mm-hmm. that so many musicians to play with and, and to, um, and to learn from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something I actually saw the other day and I didn't realize, but your first recording as a solo artist was a, was a single and it was, I think you covered Brian Wilson's God Only Knows. And I, I think there was yeah, an right. edit, there was an edit James song. I think laid back daddy on the B side. That's right. And, <laughs> uh, and it was for, I think, a Big Tree label release in 77. And the, right. the that single hit. It was, a, it was an Atlantic, uh, small label and Uh that's what a lot of bigger labels did Uh is they would put you on a small put you out a single and if you did well Mm -hmm. then they'd move you up Mm -hmm. uh, to the up in the label and let you record an album yeah well that that single actually um hit the billboard top 100 and i was just curious about how how that actually all came together how you know you you got that single released um 
Well, it was great. I mean, you know, of course, you got all these friends and everything, so you can get deals. We were, did it over at the beautiful, you know, the classic uh, Sound City. And um, and I had Jeff Beccaro and, um, and Tower of Power Horns and wow. uh, David Page. Wow. We're trying to use um, a tune that had already been done to make it a hookier thing, you know, to, to be introduced in and just and make it up. And, and it worked out. It was fun. And uh, then... I love blues and and I do a lot of blues and so and Eddie James tune was perfect yeah. to try to accomplish <laughs> and you know That's I nice. don't know how well I sounded but but it was you know that was that was the beginning and yeah. um, it I don't you know I all I know is that you know when people heard it they were they got interested in it and um, and that helped me get my first album deal yeah. Well, I want to talk about your debut album, which was Dreams of Tomorrow, and that was on the Atco label, and it came out in 79. And it was mm-hmm. produced by uh, James Stroud, I think. And what was the – tell me a little bit about the evolution of that particular project. Well, that, you know, that was the first uh, um, album that I, I got to, to make. And um, um, James came about because yeah, – I don't know if you know who James Stroud is, but um, – yeah. He's one of has been one of the biggest producers in Nashville now. I mean, right. Clint Black and um, uh, God, see, I'm not as good at I'm not as versed in um, country, but he's produced a lot of people. He has um, Stradivarius Records now, and um, he's been producer of the year and yeah. many times. And mm-hmm. um, but anyway, those days he was um, the drummer over at Malico in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, and he was recording with artists like Ring My Bell and a lot of black artists. Um, Malico was a big label black artist. Yeah, and um, he produced a lot of those little singles and stuff. Um, and uh, he was playing drums with Paul Davis, and um, um, I got a job singing uh, background for Paul Davis on the road. Yeah, and um, a great songwriter, and um, and that's how we met. And okay. um, and so I got him to uh, produce my first record, and uh, it was fun. It was crazy. And I did, you know, material from Dexter uh, Wanzell, uh, Gene Carn, and um, uh, I did, did a, a, a Braille Preston tune, and I did um, Isley Brothers tune, and um, a Jay Greska tune. Um, oh. <laughs> it was kind of crazy, but, you know, <laughs> was, you could do more then. You could you could blend a lot of uh, different styles together and I don't think you were judged as much that later yeah. on it, it proved to be hard for me because um, you know I couldn't say that I, I loved blues and I loved jazz and I love R&B and I want to have that all on the record and they just wouldn't have it so yeah. you know you had to kind of put yourself on one, uh, one side of the road or not yeah. and, um, and sometimes it, I think it kind of hurts you but um, these days, I think people are getting back to that, and that's really exciting for me to see um, people not being uh, held back um, by the, their interests and their styles and their influences. And I think that that's really it's exciting that they that you know that helps create um, great music, and in mm-hmm. turn, that helps create great musicians because that inspires them. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the great singer Paul Davis that I've always admired him, and uh, you were able to to perform with him a little bit, huh? That's neat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a wonderful man, just mm-hmm. a wonderful man and friend. He was just a you know very talented guy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, another album that she released was Without Warning, and it came in uh, around 1983. And this time, the producer was yet another uh, past Inside Music cast guest, and that's be- that being Michael Cimbello. Yep. And uh, how did you come to collaborate with Michael for this project? Michael, man, he's so great. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> another crazy man. I, you know, <laughs> he and his brother Danny are just wonderful yeah. songwriters and and nutty people, you know, and not afraid to uh, to do stuff. You know, they mm-hmm. get excited and they just they can whip out stuff. They're very very talented. Michael, I met Michael um, at a gig and um, and we just hit it off. He and his wife, you know, had a house out in San Fernando Valley, and, and we went out there, and we just um, put this all together. And um, it was a strange record because they didn't want me on the label, I mean, on the cover, because uh, because I they felt that it was more of an R&B record, and they were afraid it wasn't going to get played if, you know, a, a white girl was on the, the cover. So they, they left off the picture. And then the guy that... Uh, Bill Haywood, uh, who signed me, um, unfortunately, he died right before the record came out. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it didn't get the kind of exposure I know that he wanted for it. And, of course, you know, for me, it was a sadness, you know. And when things like that happen, you know, um, and the the person gets replaced, um, usually the artists go, Mm -hmm. too. And, I mean, that was just what happened. Uh So, you know, a VP or an A&R person that did a lot of signings left and went to another record, you know, record company. A lot of times those artists that were theirs would end up getting dropped or maybe ignored and the artists yeah. would leave on their own, too. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that happened, too. Mm-hmm. But um, I really had a wonderful time with them. I wish the relationship would have been able to grow uh, had I been able to stick around and make another record with Michael. That would have been awesome, but... Um, nonetheless, I'm really proud of it, and it was fun. That's neat. Hey, Marilyn, Eddie and I want to take a short break, and uh, let's listen to the title track from your 1992 album, Smile. And this is from our guest today, Marilyn Scott.
talk to you about some other albums of yours but before we do that I want to talk to you about songwriting for a bit and you know over the years um, how has the process evolved for you as a songwriter I mean are you always kind of in a songwriting mode or does it help you uh, to be facing a deadline for material for example I mean how do you write and, and what is your motivation and inspiration for writing well in the beginning I started writing for chapel music mm-hmm. and um, as a writer you you fit with other writers and you know you have to get it done, you know. Right. And I loved that because it, it you have to have discipline and um, you hopefully you work with people who have, are like-minded mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe you have styles that are similar and, and emotions that, that come from the same place and then, you know, you reach for that sentiment. Um, you know, and that was sort of more pop styling and uh, that I was involved in. Yeah. And I, I wrote with them for several years, you know, that helped me uh, with trying to, you know, do my own thing. So, so anyway, um, well, I love to write. I get inspired because of just, you know, of what goes on around me. Uh-huh. And, and um, that can either be a, a pleasure or a, a hurt sometimes, yeah. you know. Yep. And you don't ever want to get it to where it's real preachy and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. There's so many people that I, I'm not the only one that admires Joni Mitchell or Stevie Wonder or uh, Peter Gabriel or people like that, you know. Um and I also listen to a lot of um, jazz and music that the melodies would be more complex and and things like that. That always intrigued me, too. Yeah. And um, that helped evolve me and, and make me want to reach for more. And then I, I'm, I'm a, I always say, look, you know, call up people that I have, I have this tune, you know, thought and, and um, kind of a feeling that I think a certain musician friend of mine and songwriter would, would go good with this idea and I'd call him and say, you know, let's find some time and carve it out and let's, let's if yeah. we can't um, make this tune come alive. And I never got a note from anybody and we'd always have, so I got a lot of great material uh, with 
there's a lot of great different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dory Taimi and John Beasley and Russell Perani and you know, any you know, there's all these people that were gracious enough to to spend time with me and I think that's inspiring and uh and if you if you have a good enough idea, you know, it usually comes all the way forward where you'll be able to record it. Yeah. And um I, I always was just more about you know, recording the things that I wrote than I was about trying to get other people to record it. I mean, I did that for a long time with, with, with tunes that, you know, people needed to tune, and they wanted it to sound like that, and you would write that way, and you give it to them. But, you know, I never had any special uh, feelings for it that I would say, I'm going to record that. I yeah. usually did it the other way and said, for me, I'm going to go this way, yeah. and I loved it, you know, and I, I still like it like that. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, Mikhail Engstrom, who is our Inside Music Cast correspondent in Sweden, he he had a question for you. And he says, in 1996, uh, you got a record deal with Warner Brothers and released Take Me With You. And it's a collection of 10 songs that really captures, you know, your passion for jazz, pop and, and, you know, Brazilian flavor. And and again, you joined forces with uh, Russell Ferrante and Jimmy Haslip and I think George Duke. Michael Colina, Ray Bardani, and, and some others uh, for, as producers. And so, you know, going into these sessions, what was your approach? I mean, style-wise, um, were you determined to try something different uh, you hadn't done before? Well, I, I got to work with George Duke, and, and, yeah. um, and uh, you know, and we got to, you know, I got to have um, Bob James, and uh, Everett Harp was on there, and we got Joe Sample and Ricardo. So there played on the tune and it was just so easy. Um, yeah. And then I got to write with George and, and that, that made it all the, all the better. So that, that kind of more commercial end of it we got to do. And at the same time, I got to do like Summer Knows, mm-hmm. which is like, um, you know, a classic that, you know, I always, I just, I just love the way it talks about um, the feeling of, of um, the fall coming. And, mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that kind of thing, and then you know um, I wrote some things like Modern Man that uh, was just talking about uh, you know people and poor people and um, and and where we were kind of headed and, and how will we survive that um, mm-hmm. if we don't like you know take care of people who are uh, kind of going under right. So and then you know some blues was on there too. So I mean I got to do a lot of things, but I. I still got to string it together with having George, you know, he, he helped make that happen. And I think every time I work with George, uh, he, and that's why I kept selecting him because he seemed to understand who I was and he could let me have those things that I loved, like blues and jazz and, and, and some R&B and he knew how to weave it together. So it was a, a collective work. Yeah. Hey, Marilyn, in 1997, you worked on a, just a wonderful project, and it was almost a tribute to, uh, to Brian Wilson. Uh, you worked with Tim Weston on it, and, um, yeah. you know, you did some amazing covers. You know, you did his, uh, Brian's, uh, God Only Knows and, uh, and some other, you know, tell us about this wonderful album. I mean, cause your rendition of In My Room was completely superb. And, um, you know, how did this project with, uh, Tim, with Tim Weston, you know, find you and, and vice versa? How did you end up, uh, well, working with I know I, I've known Tim for a long time, and you know he's put a couple of those kinds of projects out, and you know, he just reached out to me. And, you know, I, you'd have to ask him why, but I mean, I was delighted to be part of it. And um, you know, really, that arrangement um, was Russell. Yeah. 
Ferranti uh, yeah. and Jimmy yeah. Haslip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's Will Kennedy playing. And um, uh, so, I mean, you know, always that approach, you know, to take take a, a classic and then push it a, a, another way. And their rendition of um, God Only Knows is, was just awesome. Yeah. The Yellow Jackets. Yeah. That was just incredible. And and um, I can't recall. So I just do remember, though, that there was other renditions of tunes on there that were just equal, equally as, as um, uh, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But I, I love doing that. And, um, yeah, Russell, he wrote a really great chart, didn't he? It was beautiful. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, working with George Duke a minute ago. And... Uh, I think you guys also collaborated again on your second Warner Brothers release called Avenues of Love. And I think they came out, what, in 98, I think. And on this album, George seems to be even more involved putting his magic to it. I mean, can you share uh, some of the memories of collaborating with uh, George on this on this particular project? Um, you know, um, we had great fun. Um, of course, we, we got a nomination for The Look of Love. George did for best... Uh, at, at the, for the Grammys, the best arrangement with the vocal uh, got nominated, so we were really very pleased about that. And you know, I don't know what this, you know, I got to write with him again, and uh, started to fall, and it's it's really held up. And um, did things like "Hey Love" and "Get Home" and uh, "Friend of Russell's The Last Day." Yeah. I think we did a good selection of tunes. Uh, we just got really lucky, you know, and. Um, and it, it, it's still it's a good airplay now, and I'm still I'm very very proud of it. Yeah, that's neat. That's a that's a wonderful track, you know. Um, hey, as a, as a vocalist, what are some of the things that that you do to keep your your voice in shape? I mean, you're, you, that's your instrument, your, your your voice, and you've been singing for so many years. And what do you do to keep it in top shape? Do you have a regiment? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I. There's some great little clubs around here that, you know, I, I play out quite often, but, and I don't play as many gigs as I'd, I'd like to, but, um, but I do get to play in town here and, um, and play with, with the big potato and the Carolina yeah. farm wall and stuff. And, and I think that that's what helps you stay alive and, and, um, and keep on top of it. But there are times, you know, there'll be, you know, several months, you know, you're not singing at all. And, you know, you have to, I don't know, the best thing I think, is to get out the tunes that you really love, the stuff you learn from, you know, you know, reach way back, Sarah Vaughan and all those things that you love, and just and sing to them. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that's that's the only other way for me. You know, I know a lot of people belong to choirs and, um, and uh, have more opportunities to play, but, um, and that would do it, but... I guess that's all I can really say, but playing mm-hmm. here in town, it's, it's been a blast, and I, I try to get in a couple of gigs a month at least. Yeah. Eddie and I want to take another break, and uh, we want to play a track from your 1996 album called Take Me With You, and this is a track called Close Enough. Next to me 
evening just got started And you're so open-hearted You are the only thing I see And if we dance to this embrace And if the moon lights up this place What will you feel like When shadows turn to As a jazz singer, can you describe the difference between singing for traditional jazz or smooth jazz, uh, you know, as opposed to singing just a melodic pop, you know, music that's out there? Is there a difference for you or is there not a difference? Well, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, I think, as, mm-hmm. or the listener. I, it, I, 
melodic pop. Yeah, there's there's some nice stuff, but but I think um, for me, when I did contemporary jazz, you know, um, it was um, a challenge, you know, to make it sort of uh, feel and have a groove, and yeah. but be interesting for the musicians to play and for people to solo, and also have something that you're saying that is is valuable and and that has um, that can reach. Uh, the listener and, and maybe talk about something that they, they think and mm-hmm. yeah. that they're going through and, and that kind of thing. So, um, and jazz itself, um, it's whatever you you want to make it. I mean, yeah. it could be a swing thing or it could be a really out melody and you can call it jazz. But um, I think, you know, I like just... Um, the art form of of um, reaching somewhere that you have really haven't gone before, and I think it's more personal um, about what you how you push yourself and and you will try to do it in a way that that the listener is really interested in and is getting some uh, the quality of of uh, the musicianship. Mm-hmm. You know, it the, jazz. That's what jazz is so beautiful about it. it it offers so many uh, different kinds of uh, genres to it, in a sense, you know, of, yeah. of blues and um, R&B and even rock. It, that um, It doesn't have to be just swing for it to be jazz, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would even yeah. go as far as to say as a little element of classical music as well. Oh, yeah, right? It's, it's, I mean, there's yeah. some beautiful things that, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, sweetening and... and um, String arrangements, and there's so many different yeah. people that, that use that so well. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah. Well, Herbie Hancock and, yeah. and Chick Maria and those kinds of folks, they, they really know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, um, Mikhail also had another question for you, and it's it's about your album Walking with Strangers, and you cover yeah. a Brenda Russell, uh, Michael Ruff song called All of the Above. And uh, he said, you know, he's heard that Michael Ruff song performed uh, on a tour in Sweden in 2003, but he said he's never heard it of it being uh, recorded until you did it. And how did you come to discover this song? Uh, I got it from Brenda. But she never recorded it, right? Or did she? No. Oh, okay. I, you know, I, I never heard that she did. Okay. She could have, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I dig it. I, I, I really love doing this song, too, very, very cool. Well, hey, you know, over the over the years, you know, you seem to have worked with a very consistent group of, of writers and musicians. And in an ever-changing world, you know, like the music business, you know, how have you managed to maintain that core group all these years? Well, I mean, sharing music is, a, is kind of a, a really incredible feeling, uh, especially when you're on stage with... Um, people, I mean, that, that feel what you're feeling, mm-hmm. and you share this, what, it's almost like a dream together, um, and it changes you when the tune is done, and, um, and that's what builds these relationships. Um, you don't really have to know them on a day-to-day basis. You don't have to know about their family. You know, you what you do experience is them in a in the deepest sense of 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 the of what it is to play that music, right. and um, it's extraordinary. And I think that's what keeps us in the game. And I think that that's what makes us um, 
you know, hang on when something is, when you don't even hardly have a career or you, you just don't get any credit for what you've been through or, uh, you know, you be, might be wondering where the, you know, you're going to make uh, the next rent. Um, but it's the music that keeps you going. It's the yeah. music that, that makes it worth it. And, um, and, and, and the story won't end until, you know, you're done, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. So I think, um, that's, that's what keeps you so close to, um, musicians that you'd share a lot with, you know, it's the music. Yeah. It is true about the core of musicians that uh, you get to work with. You know, Marilyn, a, a year ago, I, I had the chance to sit in on a on a session in which a good friend of ours here at Inside Music has, Jeff Lorber, he invited me to sit in on a on, right a, on. on a session with, with Carol Dubot. Right. And, um, and you know who was playing bass, of course? I walked in, and there was Jimmy Haslip, you know. Yeah, he was yeah. He was laying down his tracks, and, and you've worked so so much with him. Jimmy is just amazing. He's just the, one of the nicest guys in the business anyway. But um, yeah. Oh, he's just such a, such a neat hang. And, and um, you know, how did you—two questions. First, I want to know how you first crossed paths with Jimmy. And the second question is, have you ever worked with Jeff Lorber? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Uh, First, I, I well with Jim. I met him. Russell Ferranti and I knew each other from San Jose. From mm-hmm. me working up in the Bay Area, because that's where he's from. He's from San Jose. He went to school up there and everything. And I met him in the clubs early on. And then, and I was singing with a guy named Hubert Tubbs, who was one of the singers of Tower Power for a while in clubs. And um, uh, and and Russ ended up moving here to L.A. And um, maybe about a year or so later after that, um, I left the group and I moved back home here to L.A. Okay. myself. And, of course, we got together because that's, I started writing with Russell. Russell was one of some of the first people I, I shared a lot of writing experiences with. And he and they just were getting the Yellow Jackets together. He was, they were just, and that's how I met Jimmy, because mm-hmm. that was the first record that's right before I met, I met Jim through, through Russ, mm-hmm. right, gotcha. right before they, they started the Yellow Jackets. So we've been really, we are kind of crazy. And so like that, we have a lot of fun. And, um, and, um, when Jim, uh, started producing more these last few years, you know, I just was so happy because that meant that I could, you know, get him to do some work with me on a few things. And, yeah. and I met Jeff, uh, Lorber, um, gosh, I don't know, Jeff, oh, uh, one of my, one of my, um, managers managed him for a little bit. And, um, back in, um, maybe early nineties gotcha. and I met, I met Jeff then, but we, I never got the kind of, um, relationship until many years later where we started writing together and yeah. um and that's really been the last two two or three years yeah we've we've written about um four or five tunes so cool. um and we, we we plan on on doing some work together here and hopefully that's, this that's september good. so that's you know good. he's a he's a he's a great guy i mean yeah. talk about a really fun person and and um and his heart is in such a great place. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jimmy. So you couldn't, I mean, these two guys together, I mean, it is a lot of fun, like <laughs> you knew, right? When you sat in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, a good time. Yeah. 
Hey, Marilyn, you've, you've recorded and distributed your music with different labels in Japan, you know, like Tokuma, Vivid, Pony Canyon, Venus, Warner Japan. Can you talk to us and tell us a little bit about the difference in marketing your music, say, in Japan as compared with here in the States? I mean, what are the, some of the differences and is there a different passion, you know, between the two, uh, you know, marketing in those two different countries? You know, I, I, I really can't speak to that, I, you know, as far as the marketing goes. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, well, tell us about I, know that we, I know we did pretty well because, you yeah. know, I got a lot of support. Yeah. And then I mean support through people who came out to the shows. And it was the people that came out to the shows that, that made every experience I had in Japan incredible. Yeah. They were just best fans. And what, what do they love the most? They love jazz and R&B, yeah. blues. I mean, they just are, they can't get enough. And now they've perfected it themselves a little bit, and they've yeah. grown through these decades, mm-hmm. uh, and they're they're very accomplished uh, right now themselves. So mm-hmm. you know we we help them with a style of music, and and they're giving it back, which is really awesome. You know, I was on several little labels, and I got to come over and meet a lot of people, and and they they supported me um, actually when I couldn't get a deal here. You know, there were some years where I couldn't, I couldn't get a lot of response, and it was the Japanese uh, market that helped me um, be visible again. And then, you know, I got signed again back over here. So um, I'm, I'm so appreciative. And um, in a way, I guess that they sort of marketed me, you know. But I, th- yeah. I think it's the fans. I think it's the people that that really love the music. And like you said, you know, it's people who read, who played on it. Yeah. And, you know, and the songs and all that stuff, they get excited about all that stuff. You well, know. you know, you actually answered my question the way I was hoping you'd answer it. And I don't think I meant so much the marketing portion of it as that I meant the the differences in sort of the music culture in the two countries. And it, it does seem like there is, like you said, there is a more – aggressive appetite for jazz and R&B over there than than there is here. You know, you know, especially I just think the two music markets are so different, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 really it can be really fun over there um with the way that they do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. They still have clubs that where they play um albums and Yeah. <laughs> you know, they do crazy yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Marilyn, um, you know, we've talked about your collaborations from Jimmy to Jeff Lorber and and George. And, um, but there's one other artist that sort of stands out sort of quietly in your discography, and that's Michael Franks. And uh, we've had Michael here on the show before, and what a, what a great uh, time to, to chat with him. He's neat. Um, I've got a year. But what, what a guy that, you know, he's he stayed the course with his music. And, you know, when you hear a Michael Franks track, you know, yeah. you know it's it's all Michael and, and I mean, you know, he just doesn't change. Right. Um, but you did collaborate with him, if I'm correct, on, on Dragonfly Summer. And ha- how how deep has your collaboration been with him? Have you worked with him a little bit? Or? No, I, I actually didn't. I, I did Heaven's Design. Um, okay. Uh, and let's see, was that Michael's? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, we I sang with him on a Yellow Jackets live record at the Roxy. Okay. With Brenda Russell, and the, and um, that was my introduction to to Michael as far as actually knowing him. But we've never really been, we've never done anything together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Well, hey, during your career, you, you've sung, you know, soul, pop, smooth jazz, adult contemporary, and along with music mm-hmm. for motion pictures. But on your latest release, uh, Every Time We Say Goodbye, you know, you really – I can feel that you really embrace your love for jazz on this one. And, and tell us about how that project came about. Um, they approached me. They were looking for an artist, um, uh, a singer, uh, uh-huh. an American artist. And, and I, my name was mentioned, and I said I would do it. Uh-huh. Regretfully, we didn't get but just the time for me to, to get there and present them with some charts and then uh, just put them down. Uh, Cyrus Chestnut played on it, and, and he was brilliant at just trying to push, you know, just kind of get through every tune. Yeah. And we had no, we, we had to have it done in two days. Mm-hmm. And um, that vocals and everything, and and I I just wish that we had just a little more time. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, there was a couple tunes that they, they didn't want. Okay. Uh, we did Caravan, and we did... Um, we did a couple of tunes that were really, uh, John Beasley did some really incredible arrangements on, and, and they, they didn't want them because they were too, like, too out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted all the arrangements to be out, and they wanted them to be more, like, very, you know, true to the code, you know, very standardized. Okay. And, um, um, and that's cool. That was That's okay. And... They ended up being like that because we had no time to to really dig in and and delegate, uh, you know, more about what what everybody could do. We just had everybody had to look at the chart and, and go, and mm-hmm. so they gave it no time. It ended up being simplified. I wanted it to be called destinations, and so that it had all these destinations that associated with the the tunes. Uh-huh. That's why those tunes were sort of put together. And then he wanted me to do "Cry in the Cry in the River" and um, something else. And and then he said he didn't want it to be destinations. He wanted it to be every time we say goodbye. So it kind of got, you know, that idea kind of went away. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have recorded all of those songs had it if I didn't look at it like that. You know, right, right. so to me it, it fell apart in a way. But um, I still. I'm very thankful for the opportunity, and and a few things uh, did shine. I think, um, do you know the way to San Jose? I thought turned out kind of cool, and um, yeah, yeah, it's nice. Well, did did you produce this project in New York as opposed to back in your own backyard there in L.A.? No, um, Todd Barkin produced it for him, and okay. he just sat in the chair. Okay. Oh wow! Listened. Really? Yeah, he he just sat in the chair and listened, and then Todd did the um, uh, producing. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Miller is the engineer, and I remember. Okay. Well, like we mentioned earlier, uh, your last solo release was back in 2008, titled Every Time We Say Goodbye. And I want to take a short break and, and check out the classic Burt Bacharach tune that you performed called Do You Know the Way to San Jose? Call. 
that never were Are parking cars and pumping gas Do you know the way to San Jose? And there you are, without a friend You pack your car and ride away I've got lots of friends mm, down in San Jose Well, hey, Marilyn, we're, we're about to wrap up, but uh, just a couple more questions. And, that, and, and one is, uh, who do you listen to when you listen to music? I mean, is there an artist or a specific music style that, that would be the heart of your musical taste? Well, that's, a, that's tough, you know? <laughs> I mean, because you, aren't you different every day? I mean, right. Don't you want something different every day? Yep. You do. You do. You're not going to be the same. Well, who, well uh, let me... Let me some days that are really here to want blues and yeah. there are the days you know you want something harder but well let me let me change the question a little bit um who are you listening to now and a couple of artists that have really um it could be new or old that are really piquing your attention right now um i, I love andy bay okay and i love listening to andy bay and mm-hmm. um, the esperanza spalding records 
Oh, the yeah. <laughs> have been really great things to listen to. She's you know? incredible. And, uh, you know, the Terry Lynn uh, Carrington's project, the Mosaic record, I think is a beautiful record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, gosh, the list goes on and on. But um, I like... I like so many people. That's what's so nutty. I mean, I even like you know, country people. And, yeah. Um, well, I didn't mean to put you on the on the spot on that. No, one. you know, I, I wish I was more eloquent. No, that's okay. About it, but um, I just don't have the names in front of my in front of me right now in my head. But yeah. I'm kind of distracted today, and I my apologies. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, looking ahead to 2013, tell us about what's coming up for you. I mean, are there any uh, projects in the planning stages or upcoming appearances yeah, you can share with us? We, we we do. We have we do. We have um, several things that we're doing. Um, I'm, I've been writing for this play um, that is a like a jazz kind of a indie um, documentary thing with a few other artists, um, and we're just trying to see that through. And they don't have a name for it yet, but um, we're still like just writing for it. And mm-hmm. then for me, I'm going to put together um, some tunes. Uh, Jimmy Hassan's going to produce some tunes, and uh, we're going to do it in September. Okay. And um, Great. Gary Novak's on it, and uh, Terry Lynn Carrington's going to come out and play on it, and, mm. and we're going to do some things. Wow. And um, we've been writing, and... Um, I think it's going to be fun to do it, and um, I know it'll give me an opportunity to get out there and play, you know, New York and all that, and get to the East Coast. That's what I want, and I'd sure love to play um, the Scandinavian countries and um, and get out to France and, and that. That would be awesome. So I'm hoping that this will be the, the vehicle that I'm going to board and, and, and bring me there. Yeah, well, we wish you luck with that. I'm sure you have a lot of uh, a lot of fans out there in Europe. That that's just... nice of you to say. I appreciate yeah, you guys good. and and holding up music and listening to all of us uh, uh, talk about our um, our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Well, Marilyn, we can't thank you enough for uh, hanging out with us here on Inside Music Cast. Absolutely. And uh, before I go, I wanted to thank Mikhail Engstrom, our correspondent in Sweden, for. Uh, uh, develop, doing a lot of question development and actually for connecting us with, with you, Marilyn. Exactly. So that's, yeah, we right appreciate on. that. So take care. We'll try to keep in touch with you and keep our fans informed of what's happening with you. Yeah. And uh, again, thanks so much for joining right. us. Yeah, Marilyn. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Marilyn, right. Marilyn, I do have one more, one last thing. Where can they go um, to your website? Let's plug that. We want people to know more about your music. Well, you know, I've got MarilynScott.com mm-hmm. and um, we're on Spotify and okay. um NPR and iTunes and and we're, we're we're rooting around. So I mean, you can you can find most of the music that way. And I mm-hmm. we've got some new music coming out pretty soon, so that'll be fun and um and that'll be on iTunes. So fantastic. All right, guys, take care. All right, All right. you too. Take care. Bye bye. Special thanks to Marilyn Scott for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley. Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, Scott Sheriff, and Don Brydup for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Round and round.
and round The world spins me through town Meeting those demands Slipping